Well, Cedar Street Baptist Church, I, I love you very, very much. It's my joy to be with you here this morning. I love the Lord's Day. I love coming to church and just thinking about God's people in God's house here today for one reason, to worship together. Amen. And it's been an interesting journey. Hopefully it's been a good journey for you. I know it has been for me as we've walked through the book of 1 John together in a series that's been entitled, This Is the Life. This is the life as we've gone word by word, verse by verse, chapter by chapter, and we are crossing the finish line today, okay? We, it's hard to believe this is the, uh, the, I guess, 16th message, a lot of meat on the bone. And we've said from the very beginning that the Apostle John wrote this letter of 1 John so that we could know that we have eternal life, that we can know if we're saved, that we can know if we're Christian. All right, and we're actually going to look at the, uh, the purpose statement of the book comes out of chapter 5, verse 13, and we're going to look at that here to, in, in today's message. The title of our message here today is, When We Know, We Grow. When We Know, We Grow. And, you know, one of the things that I love about living in Metter, Georgia and being spoiled rotten to have a parsonage that is just 500 yards from the Guido Gardens, is I love walking through those gardens. I mean, that's sacred ground. If you've ever been to the Guido Gardens, it's like the Spirit of God, His relational presence fell upon those woods years ago, and I can still experience Him in a unique and special way every time I walk through those gardens, which I try to do often. And you know, there's a headstone uh, that has a picture of the... It's an illustration of a face of Christ, and then it's Psalm 23 and has the words of the psalm. And I remember uh, not too long ago walking with my daughter in the, in the gardens, and we're pointing at different things, and then we point to the headstone, and I said, what is that? And she looked at me like I was asking an obvious question. She said, Daddy, that's Jesus. Like, duh. And I said, what's next to that picture? And she goes, I don't know. Are they words from the Bible? And I said, that's right, Psalm 23. And I began to think as she said that, there are many people that would say they recognize that face. She's four years old and she recognizes pictures. One day I pray that she will know those words. But I pray even more than that, that she's not just going to know the psalm, that she's going to know the shepherd. Many of us in this room say we know the psalm. But I've met many a person that could recite Psalm 23 from the first word to the last, but they don't know the shepherd. And John is writing these things to us that we may know, not just the psalm, but that we may know the good shepherd that the psalm is about. You see, I think as we look at verses five, or chapter 5, verses 13 through 21, that John, through the inspiration of the Holy Spirit, wants us to go from propositional knowledge, which is knowledge in the mind, to personal knowledge, which is knowledge of the heart. In other words, when he says that you may know that you have eternal life, this is not just knowing you are saved, this is knowing your Savior. And this is why John is writing this to us. And so what's our big idea as we look at this final passage in 1 John? In one sentence, when we know we have the life of Christ... We grow deeper in every aspect of life in Christ. When we know we have the life of Christ, 
we grow deeper in every aspect of the life in Christ. So, Cedar Street Baptist Church, if you want to know so that you can grow, would you join me by turning to the book of 1 John towards the end of your Bible? Okay, we're going to be in chapter 5. Final passages here, 13 through 21. If you don't have a Bible, grab the pew Bible in front of you or beside you. We'll be on page 1213 in your pew Bible. And if you would stand at this time, out of the reverence of the reading of God's holy, infallible, inerrant, and fully sufficient word, we are in 1 John chapter 5, verse 13 through 21. Hear God's word to us through his servant, the Apostle John. I write these things to you who believe in the name of the Son of God that you may know that you have eternal life. And this is the confidence that we have toward Him, that if we ask anything according to His will, He hears us. And if we know that He hears us in whatever we ask, we know that we have the requests that we have asked of Him. If anyone sees his brother committing a sin, not leading to death, he shall ask and God will give him life. To those who commit sins that do not lead to death, there is sin that leads to death. I do not say that one should pray for that. All wrongdoing is sin, but there is sin that does not lead to death. We know that everyone who has been born of God does not keep on sinning, but he who was born of God protects him, and the evil one does not touch him. We know that we are from God, and the whole world lies in the power of the evil one. And we know that the Son of God has come and has given us understanding so that we may know Him who is true, and we are in Him who is true, in His Son, Jesus Christ. He is the true God and eternal life. Little children, keep yourselves from idols. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we love You. And we thank You and praise You for this day, and we plead for Your power and Your presence at this hour. Lord, it is my heartfelt desire in this final message here in 1 John that for anyone in this room that would say they know Jesus with their mind, that that truth would trickle down to their hearts, that they wouldn't just know about Him, but they would know Him because they are in Him. So Lord, I pray that you would take this precious truth and press it deep into our minds and push it down further into our hearts until it is expressed in our hands. Help us to know and grow in Christ. Be with us now. May you bless the preaching of your word. May it accomplish what it was set out to do and not return void. It's in Jesus' name we pray and God's people said, Amen. So how do you know you're saved? That's the question we asked when we first started the series. If somebody came up to you and said, are you a Christian? And if your response was yes, what are the words that would follow? We said that a lot of us will respond by giving secondary proof, things that are not wrong or unimportant. They're just not the foundation of what makes you a Christian. So if I said, are you saved? And you said, yeah, I'm saved. But then you gave me when you were saved you the day you prayed a prayer or you gave me the moment you were baptized or the church that you've joined or how much you know about the bible or what type of service you've done for the kingdom those are all wonderful things 
but none of those are proof that you are saved. All right, there are many things that you could say, but it's the Apostle John that helps us, and he helps us to understand how to go beyond these external symbols and how to know for sure that we truly are saved. How do we know that we're saved? Well, maybe a 30,000-foot view of everything that John has said in this book We know that we're truly saved. We know that we truly belong to Christ when we have fellowship with other people who have this life, when we confess sins and walk in light, when we obey and love the commands of Christ, when we walk in love and not hatred, when we testify that Jesus is the Son of God and reject all testimony that is contrary to that, when we rejoice in being the adopted children of God, when we make a daily practice of righteousness and not sin when we are committed to biblical love towards God and others, when we have a new heart that beats with new convictions and new commitments to God, when we listen to and believe the word of God, when we have perfect love that goes inward and upward and outward, and when we have faith that has overcome the world and is focused on eternity. That is a pretty good checklist. And that's what John's been telling us since the very beginning. So if we look at what everything John says, we see how silly it is to say, I know I'm saved. I prayed a prayer in 1961. I know I'm saved. I've been a member at that church since 1970. I know I'm saved because I've been serving in these two committees since 1980. If you have all of those things, great. If you are saved, there should be a moment that you prayed to receive Christ. If you are saved, there should have been a public baptism. If you are saved, you should be serving. But none of those things are proof that you're saved. What John is talking about here goes a lot deeper. And we're going to see today that being saved is not just knowing Christ here. It is knowing Him here. And that's what we're going to look at. Growing in Christ through having the life of Christ. And so what I want to do is I want to look at four ways that we can grow when we know Jesus Christ. And here's the first. Number one, when we know we have the life of Christ, we grow in our faith in Christ. All right, this may sound somewhat obvious, but let's look at this together. Verse 13 says, I write these things to you who believe in the name of the Son of God that you may know you have eternal life. So let me start with a a thought here. John is writing this to believers because assurance is only for people who actually believe. You can't be assured of something that you don't have. Now, that's not to say a non-believer can't read 1 John and God still use that to bring them to faith. All the Bible is all words of the living God, fresh breath, and it's profitable for reproof, for training, for, for correction, and training in righteousness. I mean, that the Bible, God can use any word of the Bible to bring somebody to faith. But we need to know primarily that John wrote this book to believers so that they would know that they're believers, Now, John wrote another book to non-believers so that they would become believers, and that's the Gospel of John. John, in in the Gospel of John, chapter 20, verse 31, he said, these things are written so that you may believe that Jesus is the Messiah, the Son of God, and that by believing you may have life in his name. So in the Gospel of John, he's saying, I'm writing so that you'll know Jesus, and that when you know Jesus, you'll have eternal life. And then he says here in 1 John, for those of you that say you know Jesus and say you have eternal life, I write these things to you who believe that so that you may know that you know that you know. In other words, that you may have blessed assurance that you are Christ's and that he is yours. 
So if you're a non-believer and you're reading 1 John, you're really reading somebody else's mail. But keep reading somebody else's mail until it becomes yours. Because the more we know, the more we're going to believe and the stronger our faith is going to be. See, sometimes I think that we see Christianity as being in a lifeboat. And we were drowning and Christ pulled us out and got us in the boat. And now our only job is to go get other people who are drowning and put them in the boat. That's part of it, but that's not all of it. All right, it's not that once you're saved, your only job is to get other people saved. No, you need to grow in your faith and you need to feed your faith. And there are many people that were very vibrant in their love for Jesus when they first got saved, but their heart has grown cold because they're eating off yesterday's bread and it's gotten stale. Faith is alive, it's vibrant. We need to feed our faith and we feed it through going deeper in that blessed assurance because the more that we know, the more that we grow. So we need to constantly fan those flames by knowing Christ in a deeper and deeper way because assurance leads to greater faith. How do I know that? Last week we said, what is faith? And we defined it according to the Bible. In Hebrews chapter 11, verse one, faith says the assurance of things hoped for, the conviction of things not seen. So faith has assurance attached to it. If you don't have assurance, you are not going to have faith. So, because with more assurance comes with more hope. And with more hope comes more conviction. And that conviction is that you believe that the things that are not seen are even more real than the things that are. That is true, deep, abiding faith. And that comes through assurance that you know Jesus, not just here, but you know him here. And that's why John's writing this letter. So again, number one, when we know we have the life of Christ, we grow in our faith in Christ. But number two, when we know we have the life of Christ, we grow in our confidence in Christ. I get this from verses 14 through 17. And as we think about verse 14, we have confidence toward God that leads to prayer with God when we have assurance. In the first part of verse 14, it says, if we ask anything, all right, when you are assured of who God is and you are assured that you're his and he's yours and you've been adopted into the family and Jesus has covered you in his blood and you can go to God as your father and you can sit on his lap and you can tell him all the desires of your heart and you know that he hears you. Guess what that does? It gives you confidence to keep going back to him in prayer. It says in Hebrews chapter four, verse 16, let us then with confidence draw near to the throne of grace that we may receive mercy and find grace to help in time of need. So we need to have the life of Christ and we need to know it because we'll grow in how we pray. We'll have confidence in how we pray. But we also, as we pray, we'll have more confidence in what God's will is. Sometimes you say, well, I don't know what God's will is for my life. I don't know where he wants me to go and I don't know what he wants me to do. And so we pray and we ask God to to reveal his will. And all of us have dealt with difficult times where we're not sure if God wants us to turn to the left or to the right. We've all been there. But you know how you know the will of God? You spend time with God. And you put your ear up to his chest. And you hear that heartbeat. The heartbeat of God is revealed in his word and it's magnified by his spirit. And when you know the heartbeat of God, 
then you can know the will of God. So as we listen over and over and over and over and we go to prayer and we sit in silence and we surrender ourselves to him, then we don't guess what's God's will. We have an understanding of what his will is. We know his will for our lives. And, and when we know his will and we pray according to his will, guess what God does? He answers our prayers. How do you know that you know God's will and that you've been praying according to God's will? You can look at your life and say, you know what? There's been answers to what it is that I've been seeking. Now, I will say this. That doesn't mean that God's going to answer every single prayer exactly the way you want. But when you see God answer prayers in a very bold and special way that you knew that came from him, guess what it makes you do? It makes you want to pray more and more because you see the power in it. And that's where when we know we grow because we pray, then we understand his will and we pray according to his will and God answers that prayer in a very special way. And what should we be praying for as we're praying according to his will? Well, he says, ask anything, right? So what does anything mean? Well, first, it means we pray for our own needs. And second, it means we intercede and plead the blood of Jesus for other people. Now, let me go back to the first part. I've heard this said before, and I know what people meant when they said it. And it sounds real nice and sweet and spiritual, but it's really prideful to say, I don't pray for myself. I simply pray for others. If you say that, then you've gotten to a point in your life where you're not depending on God, but you're depending on yourself, and that's called pride. I always go back to that illustration in the airplane, okay? If you've ever flown and they, they do the announcements and they talk about a possible emergency situation when the oxygen masks are dropped, what do they say? Secure your own mask before securing the masks of others. That is not unselfish because if you don't have oxygen, you can't give it to anybody else. I thank God for Larry Guido. He taught me that years ago. I said, if there's one thing you'd want me to know in this stage of my walk with Christ, what is it? He said, Bo, if you don't have, if you're not full of Jesus, you can't offer him to anybody else. And I'm grateful that he shared that with me years ago. So you need to pray. You need to pray for God to make your heart right confession is a big part of that praise and worship is a big part of that growing in intimacy with him is part of that and then the intercession that you have for others and the mission that you do for others all that is an overflow of what you already have with God one of the reasons that we're not very effective missionally is because we're going on empty we're trying to pour out what has not been poured in so we need to pray for ourselves the greatest needs that we have but it can't stop there. If you're truly praying for God to overflow you with his love, it's gonna pour out into other people's lives and you're gonna be praying for their physical needs and you're gonna be praying for their emotional needs and you're gonna be praying for their spiritual needs. And one of these great spiritual needs is mentioned here at the second part of verse 16 and in verse 17 and there's a phrase here that can be very perplexing. It says, the sin leading to death. So what in the world is that, John? What is the sin leading to death? Well, I will tell you that I've studied this at great length over the years, and I've seen different interpretations, but I'm going to tell you what I believe it is meant by in that particular passage. A lot of times things are written to specific people who are in a specific situation at a specific time, and this is one of those. John is writing about those who are alive at the time of Jesus 
and they had eyewitness testimony of his life, eyewitness testimony of his miracles, eyewitness testimony of everything that he taught and everything that he did. And when he rose from the dead, not only did they still not believe in him, but then they became false teachers that tried to refute his work and his identity. And if you could see Jesus with your eyes and hear him with your ears and you knew that he rose from the dead and yet you still went around telling people they could not believe in the Lord Jesus, there is no more hope for you. But here's the good news. For all the false teachers that are in the world today, none of them were alive at the time of Jesus. They'd have to be several thousand years old and you can't take enough vitamin C to make that happen. So here's the good news. We can still pray for everybody. In fact, it is good and right to pray for those who attack you. It is good and right to pray for non-believers and false teachers because for some of them, when they come to faith, they're some of the most powerful tools that God uses to build his church. I can think right now in the Christian faith, there are two men who are very passionate atheists who are now some of the best defenders of the Christian faith, Lee Strobel and Josh McDowell, both of them, sought to, to disprove Christianity, and as they were trying to disprove it, God changed their hearts, and now they are champions for Christ. So you pray for false teachers, and you pray for non-believers, but at the same time, hear John in this, our focus, our main prayers, who gets the first fruits of our intercession? It's the people in the body of Christ lifting each other up. We have got to pray for our brothers and pray for our sisters because we are in a battle and we need to be covered in the blood. We need to plead for each other. We, you know, it says that if we are in sin and we pray for each other, that God can work through that and restore that person and give them new life. So yes, we need to stay focused on interceding for our true brothers and sisters and building up the body of Christ. So when we know we have the life of Christ, we grow in our faith in Christ, we grow in our confidence in Christ. Number three, when we know we have the life of Christ, we grow in our obedience in Christ our obedience in Christ here's the deal John has said this many times throughout the book I know some of you have been coming in and coming out and haven't heard all the sermons so let me give you a quick summary statement assurance and obedience will always be linked you can't live in disobedience and think that God is going to give you a wonderful reassurance that you belong to him and the simple fact is if you continue in disobedience it proves that you don't belong to him it doesn't mean you never sin and it doesn't mean that there are certain sins that you don't continue to struggle with. Because of our personalities and our backgrounds, we're always going to be susceptible to certain sins. But the key is we don't practice them with joy and with peace. We're wrestling and putting them to death. That's proof that we have life. All right, it says that everyone who has been born of God does not keep on sinning. That means that we don't actively do the things that we used to love that now we should hate. There are too many people that think that they're saved because they pray to prayer and now they're living in a lifestyle that the Bible has always said is wrong, but because the Supreme Court or somewhere else says it's right, they try to find that assurance, but they can't find it. If you're not living in obedience, you will never have assurance, ever. God will not give it to you, and he won't give it to you because he loves you too much to let you rest in sin until you repent and place your faith in him. 
And we need, we need to remember that it's good to pursue obedience because that fuels assurance. All right, in 2 Peter chapter 1, verse 10, it says, Therefore, brothers, be all the more diligent to confirm your calling and election, for if you practice these qualities, you will never fall. Here's what he means. If you know what to do, and by the grace and the power of God, you do it, the more you obey, the stronger your faith is going to be, and the more assurance you'll have. It doesn't mean you earn your salvation, and it doesn't mean you can lose your salvation. It means you will grow in your confidence in your salvation when you obey Christ, because Christ says, if you love me, obey me. So when we obey him, we grow more and more and more. And we're mindful as we look at the second part of verse 18 that the grace that saves us is also the grace that protects us. It says, he who is born of God protects us. Now, who is he in that passage? I'm grateful for some translations. I think the Christian standard says it's capital H-E or capital O-1. That means Jesus. Jesus is the one that protects us. So we need to remember this. The same grace that saved you is the grace that protects you. All right, so if you didn't earn your salvation, you're not the one that keeps your salvation. God does. And you need to rest in that, all right? We, yeah, we do need to pray when people are falling in sin that God will restore them, but we need to know at the same time that he who is in you is greater than he who is in the world. We said that a few weeks ago, that a believer can be deceived by the devil for a season, but a Christian cannot be indwelled by a demon because God lives inside of you and he will not have roommates, okay? Greater is he who is in you than he who is in the world. And it is he that protects you from the attacks of the evil one. So we need not walk around with fear. We need to walk around with awareness. And there's a big difference. A big difference. In verse 19, it says, we know that we are from God and the whole world lies in the power of the evil one. All right? The first part of that says, we know that we are from God. There's the power. There's the peace. We rest in that. We have salvation. We belong to Christ. We didn't earn it. We can't lose it. No matter what happens with the stock market, no matter who's in the White House, no matter what happens, we are of God, and no one can touch that. But now we have discernment. The whole world lies in the power of the evil one. So then we don't get swayed by what the world does because I don't know if you know but the world changes its mind every day about what's right and what's wrong but we don't do we pray for each other yes do we pray for restoration yes do we repent of our sins absolutely but do we worry and stay up late at night worried about all the attacks of the evil one no we don't because we are protected by the Lord Jesus Christ and that's why John wants you to know him. Because if you know him, it's going to change how you're looking at everything that's happening in the world today. It is. I see too much unnecessary panic in people's eyes because things in the world are changing when the eternal realities don't. I know who protects me. And it doesn't mean I'm unconcerned about the world, but I'm not fearful. And I don't want you to be either. God is on the throne, all right? So when we know we have the life of Christ, we grow in our faith in Christ, our confidence in Christ, our obedience in Christ. Fourth and finally, when we know we have the life of Christ, we grow in our intimacy with Christ. 
oh, I could spend an hour just on this passage. I love this in verse 20 through 21. It says, first, we may know him who is true. All right, that knowing him starts right here. You have to know with your mind who Jesus is, okay? You need to know that Jesus is fully God. You need to know that he's fully man. You know, need to know that he lived perfectly. You need to know that he died sacrificially for your sins. He rose supernaturally to give you new life, that he ascended to the Father and sent down his Holy Spirit, and that he's coming back one day to make all things new. You need to know that here. Now, here's good news and bad news. You need to know that here to be saved, but even Satan knows that here. In fact, Satan probably knows that better than you do. Satan knows Jesus a whole lot more up here than most of us do, okay? He's had a long time to get to know Jesus. He may suppress the truth, but he's known since the beginning, and he knows now exactly how things are going to end. He may, he may be in delusion of how it's going to end, but he knows what the Word says. John wants you to take that knowledge that you must have here. Okay, Paul says, be transformed by the renewing of your mind. But he wants it to press down further to right here. He wants it to go from propositional truth of the mind to warm, personal, experiential truth of the heart. You may, again, let's go back to the original illustration. You may know, you may know Psalm 23, but do you know the shepherd? Do you know Jesus? Do you walk with him? Do you listen to him? Does he hear and answer your prayers? Do you sometimes experience a closeness with him that you're scared to open your eyes because you feel like you may be staring at a bearded carpenter from Nazareth who's in the room? Do you know him? That's what John says. He goes right from we may know him who is true to we are in him who is true. He's saying, we, are, we know him, and now we're in him. We've gone from the head to the heart. This is how you know that you're saved and that you have assurance of that salvation because knowledge of Jesus has gone from your head to your heart. Not only is the Psalm 23 something that you recite in Sunday school because you know it here, but now you walk through the valley of the shadow of death and you fear no evil because you know who is with you. And when you know that, the growth that you will experience is like nothing else. We go from knowing of Him to being in Him. And then it goes even further to talk about how that Jesus Christ Himself is truth and how He is life. All right, it says, so that we may know Him who is true and we are in Him who is true in His Son that Jesus Christ. He is the true God and eternal life. So Jesus is truth and life. Where else did we hear that? In another beautiful passage that John was inspired to write, that's John 14, 6. Jesus said, I am the way and the truth and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. So we need to understand that salvation is not reservation to a place. It's relationship with a person. The way to salvation is not turn-by-turn -turn directions to get out of hell and get into heaven. No, eternal salvation is now you belong to Jesus and he is in you and you are in him. I'll never forget years ago when I was at the Guido Bible College, I think I shared this years ago, I had a professor uh, who was trying to talk about what it means to be in Jesus and Jesus to be in you. And he got so flustered and so frustrated, he, he took this uh, bottle of Coke and he chucked it out. And, and, he, and he said, if that was to fall into a, a lake 
and it fell down to the bottom of the lake. Now the bottle's in the water and the water's in the bottle. You get it? And all of us in class are like, we get it, we get it. That's what it means to be saved. You are in Christ and he is in you and you are covered in his blood and God the Father sees you as he sees his son. When God the Father says to his son at the time of baptism, this is my beloved son in who I am well pleased, he is saying that now over you. This is my child in whom I am well pleased. You are the beloved son or daughter of God if you are saved and you are in Jesus. You're not going to hear any better news today. Rest in that. Grow in that. John is saying, let's get past knowledge of the head. It's not unimportant. You can't bypass the head to get to the heart. There's denominations that do that, and they're very warm in their worship, but they say things about God that are not true. All right, so you can't bypass the head to get to the heart, but it can't be just the head. You can't just pound your head with Bible knowledge and not have a personal relationship with God. And John wants you to have the whole package, and so do I. It's got to go from the head to the heart to the hands. That's our mission statement. That's the gospel. That's how it moves. And as we get to the very end, the last verse of this whole book, he makes this interesting statement in verse 21. He says, little children, keep yourselves from idols. John, why'd you end the book like that? It doesn't seem like it fits with anything, but then again, it perfectly fits. And here's why. He's telling you the first five chapters, this is Jesus and this is his life, and this is what it means to know him, and this is what it means to be in him, and if you have life, you'll have this, and if you believe Jesus, you'll do this, and you'll have this, you'll experience this, and you'll do all this, and then in the last verse, he says, little children, keep yourself from idols. What he's saying is, this is the real thing. Why don't you make sure that you don't chase after what's not real? Because anything that you place above Jesus in your life, that is an idol. And you need to actively keep yourself from those idols because the world has a way of putting those idols in front of you so that you begin to think about them and desire them more than you desire Jesus himself. And as we say in the famous hymn, everything else is sinking sand. It's got to be Jesus Christ above everything else. And what a joy it is when we have him, when we are in him. So let me land the plane. How do we sum up this entire series? I'm going to try. In one sentence, to know and grow in the life, we must remember everything First John has revealed about the life. To know and grow in the life, we must remember everything First John has revealed about the life. So one last time, Cedar Street, I want to give you just one final statement from 30,000 feet on everything John has said in this entire letter so that you may know that you know Jesus. I'm going to go slow, and I just want you to ask yourself as I'm asking you these questions, Okay. Do you have true fellowship with others who have this life? Do you walk in the light of this life through confession and repentance and faith? 
Do you trust and obey the commands of Christ? When you see it in the word, it's right now because it was right then and if it's wrong then, it's wrong now. Do you walk in the light of love and not in the darkness of hatred? That's a tough one right now. Do you testify that Jesus is the Son of God and reject all testimonies that say otherwise? Do you abide in love with God as one of his adopted children? Do you make a daily practice of righteousness or of sinning? Do you practice true, committed, unconditional love toward God and towards others and especially those who hate you the most? Do you have a new heart that has new convictions and a new commitment to God? Do you listen to and hear the word of God in your life? Do you allow God's love to go inward where you know his love for you and then upward where you show your love for him and then outward where you show his love to others? And do you have faith that has overcome the world and is focused on your eternal inheritance? In a snapshot, that's everything John says that you can look at to say that you know that you know Jesus. Now here's the encouragement. He's not saying that we're perfect in all those things. But what he is saying is if you're a Christian, these things are going to mark your life. Okay? If you're a Christian, it doesn't mean that you have loved perfectly, but it means that you have loved faithfully. That people could look at your life and say that the love that you have for other people is a lot more dominant in your life than the moment you want to debate somebody over things. All right, people know you for the love that you have in the way that you share that love, even the ones that attack you instead of being the one that everybody defriends on Facebook because you just want to start a fight. All right, they know that you, that you know Jesus Christ because your life is filled with seeking after obeying him and reading and listening to his word. Doesn't mean you know it perfect and it doesn't mean you do it perfect, but there's a, there's a trajectory, there's a pattern. Your life is going like this and it may have a couple of these, but you're heading heavenward. And you love Jesus now more than when you first got saved. Okay, these are all proofs that we're truly born, born again Christians who love and know Jesus. And so as we, as we draw to a close, here's my prayer for everybody in this room. Again, when I was a youth pastor, I was so overwhelmed with this. I think Dave is and everyone who's ever taught youth feels this way. All right, when you're, when you're with teenagers, now this is true of adults too, but specifically of teenagers, you go on camps and people get excited and they, they catch fire and, and they, they, you know, the ride home from camp, everyone professes they're gonna be a full-time missionary and then a week later we kind of fall into those old patterns again. It is my hope that we would be a church that if we are truly Christian, we would just keep building on that foundation of assurance. And our assurance would not be on anything else but that we really know Christ here. So someone comes up to you in Bilo and you start talking and, and they say, are you a Christian? You can look at them and you say, I know Jesus. I love him. And I serve him. And I want you to love him too. As I said to somebody recently who was debating me, a non-believer who I was sharing my faith with. I just looked at him and I said, I don't care to win an argument. I just want you to know the lover of your soul. That's all I want you to know. So Cedar Street, I want you to know him. Not just here, okay? You need to know him here. 
And we don't ever stop knowing him here. There's plenty that we can still do up here. But whatever's up here's got to go down here. And then finally, whatever's in there's got to come out here and come out here. All right, it comes out in our praise, it comes out in our worship, and it comes out in our mission so that all the world may know there is a God in Israel. To all the nations claim to know the Lord Jesus Christ, we've got plenty of work to do, and we'll do it when we have assurance of who is already here. Because Cedar Street, when we know, we grow. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, oh, we love you. Lord, I, I just pray over every soul in this room, myself included, Lord, how it is that we can do everything but invest in our relationship with you. We can get busy with the things of the world. We can have worries and frustrations that you don't care for us to have. And even those of us who read your word, we can be so busy about filling our minds that we never let it get down to our hearts. Help us to know that we'll grow, Lord. Help us to know Jesus with our minds, with our hearts, until it comes out of our mouths and is offered with our hands to a world that needs him. May we be a church that knows this life, that has this life, and that is living this life. In Jesus' name we pray. And all of God's people said, Amen. Amen.